Welcome to the Toughness Podcast. I'm your host, Paddy Steinfort. And today, to celebrate our 40th episode and in preparation for the upcoming season two of the show, we're going to release a series of Hot Topic special episodes. We're starting first with focus, one of the most popular topics and regular questions that come up from our listeners, talking about mental strength and how to stay locked in even with lots going on. You have to find a way to be the best that you've ever been in your entire life in that one moment. And you have to be in that moment right in the starting gate. Up in the start house, Lindsey Vaughn. This is her chance now. It's what she's worked so hard for. Lindsey Vaughn into the lead by more than a half second. I'm not going to look back and be like, oh man, I made it to the Super Bowl. Like, I'm not the starter, but I don't know what's going to happen. Like, I'm just going to be so nervous. Like, I can't perform high. No, I'm always going to perform high. You have to, like, really be in that moment. I believe it's the greatest performance strategy of all is to focus on loving it. Instead of distractions, you focus on what matters most, and that's when you're at your best. To kick things off, we have the first guest in our show, the one and only Raheem Mostert, NFL record holder and all-around good guy. In his episode, Raheem showed us how staying focused helped him rise above all of the stuff that was happening in his life during his first year of trying to make it as a professional football player in the NFL. Now that people are starting to you know, notice me and stuff like that, I'm definitely... Um, more comfortable just going out here and, and telling my side of the story, you know, to sharing my views and my uh, opinions about not only the game of football, but in life. Um, you know, that's something that I want to teach everyone, you know, and I want at least one person to learn from me um, and, and learn from what I went through. And hopefully, you know, it'll get them through their situations. That's always been my mantra, my mindset. Um, I mean, even when you, like I said, when you helped me out, you know, you told me to just focus on one thing at that moment. And for me at the moment when I was coming in, it was to, to do my best to try to make the team, you know, um, that was, that was my most important thing. But now that I started to grow and understand and being in the league almost six years now, um, definitely helped with, with that aspect, you know, just, just thinking about, okay, what's my one moment that I need to focus on this time? What is the one thing that I, that I can get better at? What's the one thing that's in this now, you know, that I could definitely work on so that way I can improve my game or even improve being a man, you know, being a husband, being a father, um, being a best friend, being someone, you know, a, a person that they can count on. So um, all those things really take into account. And, and for me, like I said, I'm definitely more comfortable with sharing my journey because it's a story. Um, and It's a hell of a story, man. It, it's not, it is. So in the Super Bowl, you run, I think you get – 10 or 12 carry you end up being almost five yards a carry you get a touchdown like this is a game at a level you've never played in before yeah but you go out there and you play at a level that is up to what you've been doing for the yep. second half of the year and you and you you do yourself proud you're a, but you've never had you've never been exposed to that before so I, i'm gonna ask this i'm trying to find the right way to ask it when you come into that game even though you haven't had that experience before do you look to the challenges that you've had in the past. Like I, I, there's a quarterback in the league who I've done uh, a lot of work with when he was younger as well, and he's now very successful. And often we would talk about just going one for one. Mm-hmm. Just like, just let's do this play. Like don't try and win the whole game. Don't yeah. even think about the level of the game because it doesn't matter about that. You just, you've completed a pass before. Let's just complete this pass. And if you do that often enough, you're going to win whatever game you're in, right? 
is that something you're able to look at and say, I've been through all these setbacks and I'm, I might have my first carry might not go well, but I get up behind the line of scrimmage and my next carry is just going to be, I'm going to be in this carry. I'll forget the other one. I remember the tough times I have done it. And then I go about my business. Is that, is that like, if your advice was to someone else, would it be to draw on past setbacks so that you know you can handle whatever's thrown at you? When I step out onto the field, like Super Bowl, like, yeah, I'm going to have a little bit of anxiety, a little bit of nervousness because I've never, ever played in the Super Bowl. I've never, I've never in my entire career won more than, if, it, if it's been a game, if, if I've played a season, I've never won more than eight games in a season. I mean, put that in perspective. And to get to the Super Bowl, you and have to – you're in the Super Bowl. Yeah, you, if, you, if you get to the Super Bowl, you have to have at least less than three games of, to lose. Like, you have to right. – and there's 16 games plus three, three playoff games in a, in a season. So, it's like, why – like, I don't get it. Like, you have to, like, really be in that moment. I'm not going to look back and be like – Oh man, I made it to the Super Bowl. Like I'm not the starter, but I'm just I'm. I don't know what's gonna happen. Like I'm just gonna be so nervous, and I, I like I can't perform high. No, I'm always gonna perform high. That's one. Two, I'm gonna put my best foot forward. And three, I'm gonna have my. I'm gonna be so mentally prepared to my opponent that he's not gonna know what's gonna like what he's facing. Like that Super Bowl, I, I could have ran for more than 220 yards. I felt like. Just because I was so hyped up and ready to go that my mind was just so triggered, the fact that, hey, look, I'm tough. I'm built for this. Like, I don't, I've went through BS in my life that's tougher than this. Right. And look how I managed to deal with that. You know, it's right. like, I mean, you got to all, I, I just see it as you always got to find, you always got to find something negative and turn that into your motivation into positivity. And well, that would just lead you, that would just lead you, on an infinite run. You can see that by keeping himself focused on what mattered the most, Raheem was able to block all the noise out and really own his performance on the field and what he had to do to get there, eventually becoming an NFC championship record holder and propelling his team to the Super Bowl. And if we think about other elite performers who had a tough start to their careers, Lacey Evans definitely comes to mind. The WWE star was raised in a home torn apart by depression, drug and alcohol abuse. So her main focus was always doing everything in her power to change her reality. She joined the Marines at the age of 19 and served for five years until she decided to start investing in her professional wrestling career. At that stage, that wasn't something that was normal. But by always focusing on doing everything that she could in her power to move forward, focusing on what she could do, not on repeating her parents' mistakes, Lacey managed to always get the job done. We'll also hear in this little snippet how Justin Sewer, the head of mental performance at the Tampa Bay Rays, thinks that focus is a key element for elite performers in baseball as well, especially during those sweaty palms moments. Every time they're going to underestimate you. They are going to assume that you are only capable of so much. And it is our jobs as women to prove them wrong. And that doesn't mean go out there and say that you can do what the men can do. That, no, because you know what? We're women. We're there, and we should be proud of that. I love being a beautiful, feminine, strong mother. I love being a wife. I love being a woman. But it's not so much proving that we could do what the men can do. It's proving that we could do our job. Okay, And it all depends on what job you have. 
And I'm a firm believer in that. It just so happened that I was on the SRT, which is special reactions team. It just so happened. I don't look at it like, you know, I say that I was the only woman because that's empowering. That sounds empowering. And it is. And it, and it should be. But it was, I was in a male-dominated, it just so happened to be mostly men. It happened to be all men. Um, but I need to, what's my job description? And I wanted to prove that I, I had what it took to do that job. And then before you know it, I'm the only female in that, that you know, that work, work field. You tell me what needs to be done and watch as I get the job done. And that's something I instilled in my kid all the time is don't focus so much on I'm the only female. Focus on this is what I can achieve this is what I can do. I can do the job that, that is at hand. And I feel like, and if you look at it that way, then it just, it, it empowers more and more to where it's not so taboo. It's it, eventually one day it won't be looked at like, wow, you know, which and it should, you should be proud. But, um, I feel like a lot of times women are looked at like, Oh, can she do that? And it shouldn't be that way because just watch. And, and we, as women should prove that we can do the job, not that we could be the only female, no, that we could do the job because it, it goes different ways, not only just in sports. What is your athletic position? It, what is your job? And then, then go as it as the jobs that we could do yeah. and see what, we, what we're capable of. Do you hear the passion of Lacey? Like, do you just see that just <laughs> love about it? And, and I, well, you can just hear it's palpable. It's, it's, it's visceral. It creates this. And that is when you see the people who are the best in the world, uh, they just focus on what they can control and their ability to choose where they're going to put their attention. They can choose to focus on the probability. It's the, the, the odds don't favor people like Lacey. They don't favor uh, the, the odds. If you were to say, what are the odds that she's going to accomplish what she accomplishes? What are the odds that these NBA players, the NFL players, these, my daughter, they, the odds are not stacked against them. It's not for them, but the people who are passionate about what they do, they know their why, they know who they are. They don't care about the odds. They're just focused on the task in front of them and they just attack and attack and attack and the fail and they learn. And another thing as well is what I see in, in hearing Lacey's story and a lot of the stories that I hear with these athletes I work with, they have a very tight circle of family members and friends who they love and take all WWE superstar away, take the, the uh, for these athletes, take the World Series away for my daughter, take all of her stuff away. She knows these people know they have a circle of people who love them no matter what. And, uh, and that's one of the things that I learned as well as these people, not only are they passionate and focused, but they have a very close circle of people who they know they love them no matter what. That might be a great way to wrap up with the final question here, Lacey. I want to give you an opportunity. Like if you could go back to the 19 year old, 20 year old who, who got into the Marines and obviously you've learned a lot in the time since you've, you've crushed that challenge. You built a business. You've become a, a world superstar in, in a sport you didn't even know existed when that started. I'll, I'd be curious to know what you've learned about yourself that you would go back and tell that Marine. I mean, just live in the moment because uh, coming from the rough upbringing that I did, I, I always find myself um, striving so much to never become what I was surrounded with. And, uh, and, I work, and I work so hard every day in order to create a life that is so far from that. Um, to what I call, and I use the hashtag, break the cycle. Um, and if I could go back, I would tell myself to just breathe and, and enjoy the moment. That, you know, you, I'm, an, I'm an athlete. I'm an elite 
for a reason because I never stop. I give 100% in everything that I do. It doesn't matter if it's WWE, here on the set with Military Makeover. As a mother, my daughter is literally right next to me in the camper. I've got a little walkie-talkie to make sure she's okay. <laughs> my husband is fed. He's hydrated. He's out there working, and I take pride in that. But um, a lot of times I find myself, you know, at the end of the day, just that back to feeling like I kind of can't breathe and that, you know, I just need to realize that, you know, we have one life to live and it is very important to stay motivated, stay driven, but also to realize how beautiful and, and amazing life is and these opportunities. And because I just go so fast and I work so hard and, and then I find myself thinking, man, you know, I might have enjoyed it a little bit more if I could have just relaxed and uh, actually taking it in instead of pushing so hard at everything that I do. Uh, honestly, that would be it because I believe like mental health is so important and I find myself at a breaking point a lot of times with everything that I deal with and I struggle with and that I juggle. And uh, I, I think that that would be what I would tell myself. And now to probably the biggest star that we've ever had on our show, literally, Shaquille O'Neal believes that his disadvantages were the things that actually made him an NBA legend in part because they always kept him focused on the next step, the next play. This narrow focus always allowed Shaq to do the things that others would have thought was impossible for someone coming from his background, from leaving the projects in New Jersey to hitting a free throw in an important playoff game, even when that wasn't his normal thing, to venturing out as a business mogul, now one of the most successful post-athletic careers for a professional athlete. I was programmed to handle everything So when I first got traded, I wasn't sad because I'm like, hey, growing up, I moved every four years anyway. Oh, that's the time to go to another place. The, the most profound thing my father told me is, don't worry about the problem, worry about the solution. Too many people go, I got a headache, I got a headache, I got a headache, I got a headache. But the people that worry about the solution, where's the problem? Where's the Advil, right? No, I got a headache. I'm not going to walk around this headache all day. Let's relieve this headache. We're up there. Here it is right here, time off, and the headache is gone. So those people that figure out they have a problem and they focus on the solution, those are ones that can navigate through life a little easier. And it's tough to do. A lot of people don't, don't have that technique, but I always have that technique. So, hey, I'm getting traded. I'm not going over spilled milk. Go to another city and take over. Because remember, I'm at the top. You get traded. Now I'm back at the bottom of the new city. But now they will know the name of the conqueror, Shaquille O'Neal. Take this city over also. So when I went to LA, you know, a lot of, we got swept down there every time. Phil comes along, we won our first championship. Larry will tell you, we party in our butt out of Vegas the next day. Oh, I bet you can't win another one. See, now, now you're challenging me again. Oh yeah, can't win another one? Watch this. Oh, two years in a row, Larry Fink holds the check party at the Palm. Last year was great, but I'm on the repeat. Rich can't win another one. Say it again. Now we win three. And then after you win three, management wants to change. Up, oh, Shaq, you too old. You got to go. You know what? I'm used to moving every four years. So I just say I stayed two terms in like eight years. <laughs> now I got to go conquer the lands of Miami. And I did the same thing. So being that I was a world traveler, getting traded never bothered me. Yeah, okay. What about the, the free throw challenge? It wasn't a challenge. I think it was a blessing to keep me humble. Because as Larry will tell you, when I need to hit him, I'm going to hit him. Put out going crazy, down by one, up by one. Oh, I'm about to shut you up. See, I, like, you know, people thrive on percentages. But I've seen guys that shoot 80% missed the one that they 
need to make. So, you know, the ones I needed to make, I always made them. So I'm not really worried about the percentage, but I just said to myself, if I played the way I played and did all the things that I did and shot like Steph Curry from the free throw line, I probably wouldn't be in this podcast right now. I'd probably be an arrogant fella. <laughs> arrogant. So it's just ways to, to humble me and you know, show people that I'm, that I'm human. And then again, even with that, you know, I would miss and I'd come home and I'd be upset, but then I'd say, hey, man, just just keep working. And then i say, you know what? I know I'm going to hit him. I know I'm going to hit him when it comes time. And if I get to the finals, oh, I'm hitting every one of them. Trust me. I'm going to hit every one. I'm going to look at your fans. I'm going to look at your cheerleaders. I'm going to try to get a phone number from one of your cheerleaders. And that, that's it. So, again, you know, I always try to never focus on the problem. I always worry about the solution. We've talked about your amazing journey from being a kid growing up in a real bad area of New York, New Jersey, having a rough upbringing, getting taught discipline along the way, becoming one of the best of all time in your domain, and then spreading out to other domains, doing things that people never get to do, even if they spend their whole lives in that. You've had a great journey, but we're only just getting started, right? We're still going. What's on your plate right now? What inspires you? What are you aiming to do that impacts people's lives beyond what you've already done? Man, I got a couple of new business deals coming up, but I, like, like I know all eyes on me. So especially when it comes to social media, this is my, this is my methodology behind social media. 60% make you laugh, 30% to inspire you, and 10% to let you know what, what I got going on when I'm selling. Uh, just, I want to be the guy that when you see, automatic smile. I want to be the guy that when you, when you run into, you know you can have a conversation with me. Like, people are amazed that when they see me, I'm by myself. Like, yeah, why are you by the, I have an entourage. I'm like, what's an entourage? I don't have a bodyguard. What do I need a bodyguard for? Like, that, like, like people are really amazed. Like, bro, you ain't got no security. No. Like, bro, you're in a Dodge Charger? Yeah, what else would I be? Like, so I don't, I don't consider myself a superstar because superstars are crazy. And I don't want to be in that category with those idiots. I'd rather be demoted back down to regular people like Larry and Patty. I don't want to be no spoiled superstar and, and the crazy shit, see my friend, the crazy shit that they do. I, I'm not a superstar. I'm just a guy that listened to his family that believed in one word, and that word was belief. It's the only word I had. Oh, I believe I can do it. No, you can't. I believe I can do it. No, you can't. I believe I can do it. No, you can't. All right, we'll see. So, and you just keep going with that. And I'm not allowed to give up. We'll never give up. I've never in my life thought about giving up. You know, there's a difference between giving up and moving on. I gave up one time because when I was, when I got injured from playing with the Boston Celtics, I still had a one year left. I was like, you know what? I don't feel like robbing the people. Like people come to see me play. They don't want to see Shaq average nine, 10 points. I give up. I quit. Time for me to do something else. But being that I listened to my parents, the parents always say, hey man, you better have something to fall back on. I knew how my career was going to end with a career in danger. I knew it. But my parents prepared me for it. Hey, what if you blow your knee? What if you blow your Achilles? What if this? What if that? So when I blew my Achilles, I had one year. I could have came back and did the farewell shack tour. Nope. I will never rob the people. I quit. I give up. I'm going to do something else. And then I, got, I was going to take a year off and just travel and just get super sexy and party for a year and come back and do some things. And I got the call from TNT. So, but... Well, to all the people out there, first you have to have the, the belief. 
once you say it to yourself many times, no matter what trials and tribulations you go through, you will overcome it. We all have similar problems. Don't let, because I have a high net worth, fool you like I don't have problems. We're all human, we all have certain problems. But the way I get through my problems is I figure out the solution. I never focus on the problem. I identify the problem, say it one time, and I focus on the solution. You're listening to Toughness, a podcast where some of the world's best performers from different fields share their personal stories about pressure, stress, and success. This series of interviews is a product of the Human Performance Think Tank, with thanks to the U.S. Army and Booz Allen Hamilton. Coming up later in the show. I was just freaking out. Like, I was totally freaking out. So nervous, and I just tried to lower my breathing, and I said, I can do this, I can do this, I can do this. I just said it over and over and over. And you can see that underdog mentality there of Shaq. It's so inspiring because to me, it's a perfect example of how being present and laser focused on the task, regardless of what's going on around you, can make you perform better than anyone might give you credit for. Now we're going to take this from the courts to TED Talks, as we're joined by badass author, teacher and researcher, Angela Duckworth, my good friend and mentor, who's an expert when it comes to high stress situations and grit. Here she is talking Olympic medal hopes on the slopes with multiple world champion and Olympic champion, Lindsay Vonn. Listen to how something clicked in the moment that a young Lindsay Vonn learned where all of her training and preparation in the world was worthless if she wasn't focused and aware of herself on the starting line of every single ski competition. I was in a lot of high, high stakes situation, like really high pressure situations as early as like 12 years old, 13 years old. And, um, I would always get really, really nervous. And it was really my last, so I think I was 13 or 14. It was my last year that I was um, able to compete at this, like the biggest international race for juniors. And my dad always said that, you know, if, if I won, I would most likely go on to be a world cup champion because probably 75% of the people that won that race did go on to win World Cups, which is like, it's a crazy stat. Um, but I and knew- And you were how old? You were 14 at this point? Yeah, and I'm like, if I, you know, if I wanna win, I have like, I have to win this. And so I'm standing there in the, in the start of the second, in the second round, I'm in second place. I was just freaking out. Like, I was totally freaking out. So nervous and I just, I don't know, I just kept saying, uh, I got on the start and say, I said, I started breathing, like, try to lower my breathing. And I said, I can do this. I can do this. I can do this. I just said it over and over and over. And I just skied and I, I won. Um, but that was kind of, I think, a big moment for me in kind of realizing that about that self-talk, you know, just telling myself that I can. Um, and then I also had some other tricks that I figured out throughout my career, I used to write little notes on my skis. So when I was in the starting gate, I would look down and I would see, you know, um, stay forward or be aggressive. And that would kind of focus my mind on the, the things that I needed to do in that moment. And then I also, then when I got to the Olympics, realized that that's something totally different entirely. And um, I figured out that it, you really have to throw everything out the window and you have to find a way to be 
the best that you've ever been in your entire life in that one moment. And you have to be in that moment right in the starting gate. So it's like very much a timing thing. You know, how do you time the rhythm of your warm up? How do you, you know, mentally get yourself psyched up so that you're, because if you get psyched up too early, then you're actually tired when you're in the starting gate because the adrenaline sucks so much energy out of you that you can be depleted entirely by the time you get to the starting gate. So like there's a, a very, it, it, it took me quite a few years to actually, you know, figure out, which is why I didn't win until um, the 2010 Olympics. Um, but I, I had a, a very methodical way of, you know, how I prepared and, and physically and mentally got myself in the state of being entirely present and like, you know, in the zone for those 10 seconds when I'm in the starting gate. Right. I mean, that's, uh, wow. I'm getting like goosebumps and I've got a thousand <laughs> questions. We don't have time for them all. <laughs> I'm going to pivot to you, Angela, because I know we've talked at times, I'll mention this idea of like being clutch or being in the moment. And you're like, yeah, but that's not what I study. I study long-term perseverance, et cetera. And to me, they're like inextricably linked in a way that to be able to persevere, I need to let go of the long-term thing and just be here right now and do this job that's in front of me. Like, like Lindsay said, stay forward, be a great, like I need to just do those task relevant things. And I'm going to throw an example to you of, uh, I'm not even sure if you were nervous, but your Ted talk, which is one of the most watched of all time. I imagine before the cameras rolled on that. Yeah. Right. My hair looks so good in that, by the way, it's never, (laughs) it's never looked as good and it never will. Right. There'll be a link. There'll be a link for people who want to find it. We can just Google Angela Duckworth and that'll come up. Uh, was there moments of, I mean, I know you teach all the time. So you speak in front of people. Was that different for you speaking in front of cameras, knowing that this is going to be on the internet for posterity? Yeah. I mean, look, for the reason I said that I don't study clutch or like, you know, that moment, like not all great, uh, uh, achievers have these this feature of their life where like oh and then these next 10 seconds matter the most right like imagine you're a painter or something like it's not, so I want to study greatness in all its forms and a lot of people greatness includes those really clutch moments military leaders uh, you know presidents you know Olympic skiers but there are some domains of human greatness that just are not, they just don't have those clutch moments. And so right. that's um, uh, just whatever. So that's, that, that's maybe mm-hmm. why I gave that response. For me, I mean, so I, I the TED talk was um, maybe different from the Olympics. Cause like when you're doing the Olympics, like, you know, that these are the 10 seconds that count. Um, I was just like, I have to go do this thing called TED. And for some reason they won't let me um, like just do my usual thing, which is just to speak off the cuff. They wanted me to, I guess, because TED has a time requirement. So they're like, no, this kind of talk you have to actually you know know everything that you're going to say like in the so that you don't go over so I was like oh that's weird um okay and then (laughs) and then I actually like you never actually have anything planned it's always off the cuff I mean yeah that's what makes her a great teacher though I mean I like I like to think, I mean, and also it's like, yeah, furiously taking notes during everything Lindsay was saying when you kind of like discovered on your own, maybe like about mindfulness essentially and like being present and throwing everything else out of your head and then having positive self-talk. I think for me, like great teaching is like you're really in the moment. And then when you're in the moment with your students, you're just like, you're just thinking in real time and you're like, okay, then that, that makes me think of this. So yeah, doing the TED talk was weird because it was like, no, it has to be exactly six minutes. So like they didn't want me to think in the moment. 
Um, anyway, I, I don't, I don't think it was the same because I wasn't thinking like, oh, maybe this is going to be like a really important part of my life. I was more like, oh, okay, I want to do a really good job for you. And then I'm going to go home. Yeah. Wasn't, wasn't, wasn't nearly as terrifying, I'm sure as being, Which is, you know. But that's awesome. <laughs> right. That's probably why you were, your hair looked, your hair looked great and you presented like it was I was very thing, excited about the felt. hair. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's, <laughs> Yeah, I mean, there was a little bit, but not not nearly so. Uh, I think I think that idea of like being uh, able to handle clutch moments obviously has relevance to everyone, but just it's it's just at a level for somebody like Lindsay that I just I think very few human beings actually have to be that like they're not confronted with those kind of clutch moments. Um, some are. Right. Well, so it's interesting. I agree with that a hundred percent. There is a an analogy though, or a parallel of when I'm about to have a conversation with my girlfriend that is potentially like going to be problematic for us, there's an element of 10 seconds that it's like, oh shit, we're going to do this. Okay, let's go. <laughs> right. And there's also, I'm getting up to do that Ted talk or the presentation at work, or I'm, st I'm getting ready to go on stage as a musician, or I'm just getting ready for the exam. Like I'm getting ready to go out and do this trial that'll help me make the platoon, like whatever it might be. We're, there are elements, not to the degree of an Olympic gold medal, and probably not to the degree for many people of a TED talk, but internally the response is similar, right? Fair, and, fair, and, fair. And all those things that were mentioned, like using breath, timing, uh, and then being aware of your self-talk, um, and then being strategic about your self-talk, um, uh, and some of those other hacks that I wrote down, right? Like anyway, that like that Lindsay mentioned. I I do think you're right, even if you're not like at the top of a mountain about to like ski the downhill for the gold medal, like they're also useful. Focus is not only for Olympic athletes and world leading academics though. Indeed, being focused plays a huge role in everyone's life. It's the case here for nurse Sarah Morello and Dr. L.A. Alvarez, who in order to work at Stanford's emergency department, need to be able to pick themselves up quickly, even after losing a patient or having a bad outcome because the patients just keep coming and coming. Sarah had to learn how to juggle life and death and Dr. Alvarez even uses breathing exercise to make himself present amidst the chaos. Our ability to turn from one patient to another is something that we work on and we have to kind of reset ourselves and find a way to do that. And that would be a big piece of advice I would give to them as well. And then also to cycle back to what we were just talking about, high performance people I think have a tendency to wanna to pick everything apart and find the failure in it. Sometimes if you wanna love your job and keep loving what you're doing, which I still do after all of these years as a nurse, I still love being a nurse. It's because sometimes I just go, that was exciting and awesome. And I just let myself be happy with what I did. And I'm sure if I wanted to get better, I could sit down and find something I could have done differently. But sometimes I just want to be like, I'm going to take that as a win and I'm going to move on because it makes me love my job. I want to be good at it. I don't always want to find what I did wrong. Sometimes I just want to be good and keep going. So those would be my two pieces of advice to other high performance people. Interesting. So, and that second one was very specific. The first one was a little it's very good advice, but what's your actual technique for doing that? Like I had, we had a comedian on this show recently who said, you know, ignore the haters is an Instagram quote. Like how the fuck do you do that when there's actually haters trolling you on Instagram? And so we, I, I want to dig down to when you say I need to be able to leave that loss behind, or I need to be able to leave that bad incident behind and move to the next one. What's your trick for doing that? How do you do that? I don't know. Like, how do you keep, going in any situation where something falls apart, you just do you, for me, it's literally, I can remember that moment I described earlier when I had to turn from my coding patient to my new ambulance and it was a deep breath 
put the smile on your face. We're going to fake it till we make it. And then we're just going to turn and we're going to keep going. It's one foot in front of the other. But I, I do think you can sometimes have this like physical reset where you're like, okay, that's done. Okay. Hi, I'm going to, you know, what can I do for you today? And it just has to be a pause and restart. You have to mm. be very careful not to drag it with you. But the way that you do that is by literally being like, this is over starting new. You know, your old PlayStation where you hit the button and you're like, okay, that whole game sucked. We're just going to turn this whole machine off and restart it again. (laughs) We're back at zero three lives. Everything's going to be fine. (laughs) I know some people who would rip it out of the wall and throw it away, but that's a different different approach. (laughs) Probably. Yeah, exactly. Not as effective. I think we've seen that sometimes in a resuscitation when somebody gets really, really angry and they dispel all of those emotions immediately. I think to follow Sarah's uh, example, um, I, I do the same. I've learned a lot about box breathing lately. I've learned a lot about slowing my breathing. Uh, So can you share that specific for those who aren't familiar? What's box breathing? Yeah, I think the military calls it either box breathing or tactical breathing, which is taking, and there's several versions of this. I do the taking a deep breath over four seconds and then holding your breath for four seconds and then exhaling over four seconds. I feel calmer already just from and you then talking. And then holding your breath again over four seconds. And Sarah has heard me say this to my residents as I'm teaching them how to do a procedure and they're shaking. And I need them to be precise with where that needle is going to uh, aim. The tone of my voice will do the same thing. Sarah has also heard me at the very beginning of a resuscitation where I'm very hyped up because I'm excited about what's coming. So then I realized like crap, like the adrenaline has surged so fast that I need to slow myself down. And so you'll hear the, the way that I'm talking right now, the way that I'm slowing the cadence of my speech has been very helpful in resuscitation environments. Because then if I slow myself down, I realize that people are going to try to listen because I've established at the very beginning my role, hey, I'm the team leader. And so if I'm saying something they cannot hear, they're trying to like turn around and listen to me more as opposed to I'm screaming and raising my voice and it revs up everybody and then it's chaos. And so when I notice that, for me, a very tangible thing is to slow down my breathing, slow down the way that I talk. And I share this during the debrief. I'll share that. I'll give them specific example. I don't know if you guys saw this, but when I was holding that C collar, my hand was shaking. And then people will start to remember. And then I'll say, And I don't know if you remember this, but I started slowing down the way that I speak. And then people started like listening and started hearing what I was saying. And usually that way of modeling can be effective with resin, not always, but the ones that are truly, they want to get better. And the ones that are tougher on themselves, they'll realize that that it's a simple intervention that they can do. And I I do that whenever I give a a lecture in front of a, a big group, I do that when I'm taking a test, for instance. And it's not something that I've done a lot in the past. I think that's that mindfulness aspect of it is very, very important, as Sarah was mentioning, because it allows me to then hear my thoughts. It allows me to then focus myself and be able to then realize like, ooh, that did not feel well, or I'm really getting revved up right now. And then it allows me to say, again, in, in the emergency department, it's People think it's always an emergency when it's not. You get bursts of emergencies. And so you can always find moments to then just walk, like just a lap around the ED, uh, or even like if you don't want to walk all the way around um, football field, you can just walk from one 
side to the other, like, I don't know, like five rooms. But in those moments, for me, that's been very helpful in slowing myself down. One of the examples, specific example that I've shared, for instance, is giving a sandwich to a patient. And it doesn't have to be really fancy, but in my mind, I'm very deliberate about it. I'm going to walk that two minutes to go to the refrigerator and pick up that sandwich. And I'm already slowing my breathing. And I'm going to give it to some random patient who I know will be very grateful because who wouldn't want a sandwich, right? And then I'm just going to give it to them. They're going to thank me. I'm going to thank them. And I'm going to go to the next room and see that next patient. Hey, I'm Dr. Alvarez. I'm so glad you're here today. They will never know that I just actually resuscitated a patient that died. And sometimes I show my, 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 my residents that, or, or even when, when we give those tough conversations with, with the patient's family that their loved one just died, I will be the one that will say, hey, can I get you a cup of water or do you want coffee? Right? We can delegate these. There's simple things that we can easily delegate. But for me, I would take that on and it allows me to recenter myself. You are listening to Toughness. And if you're this far into the episode, there's a good chance you like the show. You can add to the conversation with the whole review, rate, subscribe, and share thing. If this helps just one person who needs to hear what our guests share to get them through today, it'll all be worth it. Stay tuned for more coming up, including... My passion had to be greater than my fear. My focus on the outcome had to outweigh the focus on the fear. Being focused and being mindful in what you're doing can, in some extreme cases, be the difference between life and death. It's definitely the case for Waldo Waldman, who is a decorated fighter pilot and now retired Air Force Lieutenant Colonel combat veteran. Waldo told us that by doing something in auto mode, he almost lost his life when he wasn't focused enough. A scuba diving incident, not up in the plane, caused him to develop PTSD that affected his life and his future career as a jet pilot. But after a few years battling his fears, Waldman realized that it was all a matter of where he directed his focus while he was feeling bad shit. By focusing on positive actions, Waldo managed to fly through his fears and become a better pilot, husband, parent, and eventually a writer. I was an instructor pilot in the Air Force first, and then I evolved into the F-16. I evolved. I got better and grew and then competed to get into the F-16. But three years into my 11-year active duty flying career, everything was going great for me. And I went scuba diving in the Caribbean with some buddies of mine. Never been before. Thought, you know, how hard could it be? You know, just give me a mask, put on a tank and just fly, you know, swim through the water. But needless to say, five minutes into the water, I was wishing I paid more attention to the mission briefing, right? Because I'm flailing like an idiot, improper technique, not using the proper, you know, my, my legs and then the lactic acids building up. Suddenly I can't move, start freaking out. My body aches from head to toe. My mask inadvertently separates. I inhale a whole lung full of burning salt water. Felt like my lungs were going to explode and then had something called a panic attack. And I, I'm like, I, I, I thought I was going to die. No combat mission could even come close to that day. And I got out of the water and said, I'm never doing that again. A few days later, I'm back in the cockpit flying a training mission. The weather was terrible. Couldn't see the sun, the ground. We were socked into the clouds. And then I basically had the same panic attack that I had a few days prior. Right, and you but never had that before. Never had it before. I'm like, where the heck is this coming from? I'm, I freaked out. I thought there was something wrong with the oxygen. 
as I became hypoxic and dizzy, but there was everything wrong with me. And so I became claustrophobic, probably not the best thing for a pilot to have. Right. And so it was basically post-traumatic stress disorder that didn't happen as a result of flying in combat. It happened as a result of almost dying a few days prior and it reared its ugly head in the cockpit. And so for the next eight years of my 11 year active duty flying career, almost 3000 hours of flight time, every single time I strapped into this plane, I had to deal with this fear, this phobia, this stress that tested my mental toughness in doing what I wanted to do more than anything else, which was to fly. And so my passion had to be greater than my fear. My focus on the outcome that, or on, on being present, on flying that jet, on taking care of my team had to outweigh the focus on the fear. And so there's a lot that we can chat about here, but for those that are listening, things may be going great in your life. Business is great. Sports are going great. I'm doing well. And now I'm in a, in a, a bad streak. I'm having some failures. Some test results are going to pop up in my life. I'm going to have a divorce, a failure, issues with my kids or whatever. And you're going to be tested. And that testing, your ability to deal with the stress and fly through it will determine the resilience, your courage, your growth, and how you're able to handle that fear, deal with your stress and, and come out the other side stronger and better and more prepared. And so part of my secret weapon was focusing on not the outcome i.e. if somebody's going to make a tweet about me or embarrass myself in front of my fans or my teammates, but just stay present, stay present, stay in the moment. And by doing what I'm going to share with you, by distracting yourself from yourself, you can stay in the moment. And here's yeah. how we could do that. What helped me was sure my passion, my dream, my goal was important. But when the fear became intense and the panic ensued, I'd look out to my teammates those folks who I was flying with and got focused on them. I got focused on my teammates. I got focused on the fact that they needed me. And if you're a parent listening to this, if you have someone in your life that you love, if you're, a, you're willing to totally distract yourself from yourself by loving them, by sacrificing for them, you're no longer worried about your fear you're worried about taking care of them and doing your job. And you're like, man, responsibility, that, and, and, and that honor that's incumbent with the responsibility, the fact that others need you to perform, man, you'll go through the rigors of life and the trials and tribulations and the hell that I went through because you realize that others need you more. And that, yeah. that helped me through this big time. You can only have, and depending on the study you read, but there's been thousands of them, anywhere between four to seven things in your conscious awareness at any given time. And so while we're filled up with fear and we're worried about screwing up or what people will say or what this is going to cost us, it shrinks the amount of attention we can pay to things that are actually useful to us in that moment, whether it be flying the plane, whether it be talking to our teammates, whether it be just being present for a conversation with your partner. Right. But when we switch our focus, when we pay more attention to the task that's in front of me, what I'm paying, what I'm doing, or the other cues that I'm paying attention to, there's no room left for that, whatever you called it before. The, some people call it the dictator in their head, that there's no room left to focus on how I feel 
or on what might happen. It's, it's full absorption in the task at hand, which is really what leads to flow. Yeah, absolutely. Well said, Patty. Well said. And it, you, you just took the words right out of my mouth. It, that's how when we become fully present, when we're in flow, we're totally focused. That's why I have an acronym for fear. You know, it's either forget everything and run, right? I think somebody else created that, although I thought I did. Sometimes we, <laughs> we create content. But then I made up focus, energy, accept responsibility. Focus, energy, and then accept responsibility that you made the decision to fly that day, that you're Mr. Top Gun, you've got these wings on your chest, that you're a fighter pilot, and accept that responsibility and drive through that. But focusing your energy, you see, you know, we all have responsibilities as parents, as teammates, as leaders of our companies, as spouses, we have to take on that role. And I think what happens a lot today, Patty, is that we outsource our responsibility to others and we just quit too early and we have too many outs because we haven't instilled in us this sense of duty and moral responsibility that should elevate our ability to quit. Yeah. You see, ego in this case is a great thing. Ego for me as a fighter pilot, you know, coming back from some of my stressful missions, I'm like, man, I don't want to do this shit again. This sucked. I had this panic attack, whatever. And then I'm like, there's no way I'm quitting on my team. There's no way I'm going to embarrass myself. I'm doing my damn job. And sometimes ego will push you to choose to fly. Your passion will help you to choose to fly. Your acceptance of your responsibility to help others will help you to choose to fly. And that's I love that. how you make the decision to work out, sacrifice on your diet to study the, whatever needs to be done to be that top gun. And it's, and it's a very mental game. What happened to Waldo is a clear example of how small things can take our focus away from the things that matter the most. A fighter pilot develops PTSD from a scuba incident and not from real life combat. It sounds crazy, right? But it's the perfect reminder to not be too tough on ourselves when unpredictable things happen, that instead of drowning on what went bad, we can focus on the next best step. Speaking of positives, we'll wrap things up here in this special episode on focus with one of the best authors and speakers on positive psychology, John Gordon. How does John get up and speak to an audience of 10,000 people so naturally for someone who actually hated that when he first set out? Well, we asked him exactly that question and his answer pretty much comes down to focusing on the positive things that will result from those tough moments. That shift of focus not only helped him perform better, but also led to a more mindful life and a better family and home environment. 30 years ago, I was 19. So, so I, was, I was actually playing lacrosse at Cornell University as a division one of lacrosse player, which is where I learned about sports and learned about culture and teamwork and had this incredible experience to actually to live it, to, to learn from it, to see what what failed because what caused us to fail because we did not have a great team. We were not united. We were not connected. Years later, I would learn what makes a great team. But you know, when I'm speaking to these large groups, whether it's 10,000, 5,000, 2,000, I actually am nervous. I, I go back to my performance days in terms of playing a sport. Like you feel like it's game day. And there's always that question in the back of your mind, do I have it today? Is this the day I don't have it? But I think it's that mindset. It's that little fear that gives you a little bit more edge, gives you a little bit of preparation to really say, okay, I've got to be ready. I got to be prepared. I got to take this on. So there's an element of, of fear, but I think that little bit of fear pushes you in, in a good way. We know it's the bad fear that we don't want to have, the one that paralyzes us, the one that causes us to uh, fear messing up, to be 
attacked in the place of our identity, that if we don't perform well, we're not enough, we're not valued, we're not recognized. You don't want that kind of fear. But the way you put, replace that kind of fear is with love. Because if you love it, you won't fear it. Love casts out fear. I believe it's the greatest performance strategy of all is to focus on, on loving it. And the minute you get back to loving it, loving the competition, loving the opportunity, loving your life, loving your craft, fear dissipates. So you're not worried about the outcome. You're worried about nothing. You are just so focused in the moment of just loving what you're doing. And that's when you're at your best. And for me, as a speaker, it's the same thing. If I focus on the audience, loving them, loving this opportunity, fear dissipates. And then I give them a, a talk with, with, with power, with great tips and strategies, and with the love that helps have an impact on them. You mentioned earlier in the show the, the ability for an individual to feel something and still act the right way anyway, right? It's a common answer from a lot of people across different industries. And you actually described your own personal intimate journey, both with your wife and even just personally, like going from getting stuck in a negative place and, and over 15 years remodeling yourself. So now it's a default. It's a habit for you to think and act that way. And it sounds great, right? But a lot of our listeners are going to be sitting there like it could be someone who's sitting for an exam and they can't stop thinking negative. Could be a person who's getting up to give their first speech as the leader of a group. Could be someone who's getting the shit kicked out of them while they're doing buds training at SEALs. Like there are so many people who are listening who are like, yeah, I like that, John. It sounds great. But man, I'm facing this thing. Like how do you actually action that? For you now, it's a habit. But when you started, how did you action that? Best advice I ever heard is from Dr. James Gills, the only person on the planet to complete six double Ironman triathlons, which, which means you do an Ironman a day later, you do another one. Last time he did, he was 59 years old. And he said this, I've learned to talk to myself instead of listen to myself. He said, if I listen to myself, I hear all the fear, all the doubt, all the complaints, all the reasons why I can't finish this race. But if I talk to myself, I could feed myself with the words and the encouragement that I need to keep on moving forward. So the key here is stop listening to those negative voices and start speaking truth to those lies. I ask professional athletes this all the time. Do your negative thoughts come from you? And they all say, yeah, of course. I say, really? Who would ever choose to have a negative thought? You would never choose a negative thought. I wouldn't choose a negative thought. So where do the negative thoughts come from? And this is where you really get into things that will blow your mind. Thoughts come in the form of consciousness. They're spiritual. No one has ever found a thought inside of a brain. When you're sleeping and dreaming or having a nightmare, do you choose those dreams? Do you choose those thoughts? No, they're always coming in. So thoughts exist like in this internet cloud software. The brain is the hardware. And we're always downloading these thoughts to our brain. It's where the activation happens. So just because a negative thought comes in doesn't mean you have to believe it. Don't believe the lies that they tell. Don't believe the fear that is a liar. Fear is a liar. It's not here for your good. It's here to sabotage you. I'm not talking about flight, fight, fear. I'm talking about the one that says you're not good enough, smart enough. You're not going to get through this. You're going to fail the test. They're not going to listen to you in your talk. The future is hopeless. The marriage won't work out. The medical report's going to come back bad. Whatever it may be, we have this fear that holds us back and sabotages us. But you would never choose that fear. So you have to recognize it really is in many ways, a mental and a spiritual battle where spiritual thoughts are coming in, they're lies, don't believe the lies. What you wanna do is speak truth to them. And the truth is, you're here to do great things. 
The truth is you want to be great because deep down, you know, there's greatness in you and there really is greatness in you because you would never want to be great if there wasn't greatness in you. So, you know, there's greatness there. You want to be great. And that is truth. The truth is the best is yet to come. The truth is that if you are optimistic and positive, you have a better chance of success. We know that research from Duke University shows that optimists work harder, get paid more, and are more likely to succeed in business and sports. And what they found was that these optimists, because they believed in a brighter and better future, they then took the actions necessary to create it. It became a self-fulfilling prophecy. What you believe determines what you create. And that is truth. And so the more you understand truth, it allows you to win the battle of your mind to speak to those lies. And that's what I've done over the years. That's how I've won the battle of my mind. And then you start to see that manifested in my life. But once you win that battle, you become so much more powerful as you walk through this life. But, but what happens is those negative thoughts come in in the form of five Ds. And I just wrote about that in, in the garden. Doubt, distortion, which are lies discouragement. We don't give up because it's hard. We give up because we get discouraged. Distractions. They're the enemy of greatness. And then division. And the word anxious literally means divided. And so when you're anxious, you literally feel divided from yourself, from your team, and spiritually from God. But we can overcome those five Ds. And that's what we're talking about here. You speak truth. You trust. You speak truth to the lies. You encourage the word encourage means to put courage into. So you put courage into yourself, into others, and you keep encouraging yourself. Instead of distractions, you focus on what matters most. You show up every day and you get better. You work hard. You control what you can control. We, we know all these kind of, of techniques, and we do that instead of all the distractions. And then instead of dividing, we unite. And for many, unite to self means yoga. It means meditation. It means prayer. It means mindfulness. Whatever technique works for you, you unite to self, to each other, and then spiritually. And that actually gives you a tremendous amount of confidence and power to take on the battle, win the battle, and then overcome any challenge you're facing. So I hope after hearing all of these examples on this special episode, the tough topic of focus under fire, that you can take some solace in the fact that even though you might not be feeling comfortable at the moment, there is a way to move forward. Instead of freezing thinking about negative, we can embrace the idea that there'll be something positive as a result of the actions and that all it is is about putting one foot in front of the other. Of course, it's not an easy thing to do, but the ability to use your focus to your favor takes tons of time and practice. And that's why being present and practicing presence is one of the main pillars of building toughness. I look forward to joining you in our next special episode. Until then, stay tough. So what is it got to be so damn yeah. uh, Excellent.